0: We, we have been in Matthew 24 for a while, and I told you when we got to this chapter that it was, it was just chocked full of, of good, meaty stuff and that we were going to take our way working through this. And we, we can understand why. You don't understand why we're having to slow down and, and work our way through it because what's, remember the context. It's probably Thursday when Jesus is going to be uh, betrayed. And, uh, and he's going to be just as hours before his betrayal, his crucifixion. He has spoken for the, he's been the last time to the temple in Jerusalem. He's confronted the hypocrisy and the, 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 things that's going on there that's pleasing to God. He and his disciples have walked across Kidron Valley and up on the side of Mount Olivet. And there on Mount Olivet, he is looking back toward Jerusalem and toward the temple and the temple mount area and he he has talked about the destruction of the temple and his disciples as they sit there and look back the disciples asked Jesus really three questions they said when's this going to happen when's this going to happen and what's going to be the sign of your return and what's going to be the sign of the end of the age Now, that's not a question that you answer in two to three sentences or more. So Jesus begins answering those three questions. And that's, and that's where we are. We're in the midst of that. Uh, we, we've, we've, we've been a part of that. Last time we were together three weeks ago, we ended with verse 31. And, the, and Jesus was revealing, he was talking about when the Son of Man, when Christ comes in the clouds with power and great glory, when every eye would see him and when even those who had crucified him or the Jewish people would look upon the one that they've crucified and they would see him, acknowledge him, and recognize him. As we pick up this morning, we're going to pick up with verse 32 because as Jesus is, as, has been explained to them, now... Jesus gives us some more assurances. As you look at this and we, they've listened, been listening to him and they're probably, if, if, you know, if they're like me, they were sitting there and he's answered, he's, he's told this stuff and they're going, wow, wow. You gotta be kidding. This is all gonna happen. Jesus now gives them some assurances that it is gonna happen just as he said. Picking up at verse 32, Jesus says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, he puts forth leaves, and you know that summer's nigh. So likewise, ye, now let me get my glasses out. I was doing pretty good, thought I had So likewise, ye, there you are. When you shall see all these things, know that it's near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall shall not pass away. There's, there's three things I want us to look at in these verses before we go to, to Noah and end up with verse 30, uh, 44 uh, this morning. The first is when he says, when you he, when he see the trees putting out. I, I, I was thinking about this because uh, in the last month, okay, in the last month, we've, we've seen, we went through a brief, brief spring and just summer. And uh, about a month ago, uh, trees were just kind of putting out. The the dogwoods were just kind of begin to to bloom and put out. And we Barbie's got a, a snowball. We call I call it snowball because I can't ever remember that other big name. What is it called? Who say it again? It starts with H. Uh, yeah. One of them, One of them, We've got two two or three of those little bushes. And and every year they get they it seemed like they'll either get frostbitten or frozen. And, you know, we would go out there and we'll throw a tarp over them or something to try to keep them from freezing. And this year, we can't say, and you know, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? Are they going to survive? And so we, we saw leaves. And then we just turned around. It seemed like in a couple of weeks, and it's green. Everything's green. It's just greened up. And so Jesus says, when you see the leaves, when you see the fig tree putting out, you'll know that summer's not. Now, when I was growing up, I used to, I've heard this spoken of, and, and maybe rightly so, that referred to Israel as a fig tree. In scripture, sometimes Israel is referred to as a tree, fig tree. And they would use this scripture, or they would interpret this scripture. Let me say it that way. They would interpret this scripture to mean when when Israel, once again, is a nation. You remember, for hundreds of years, there was, there was no Israel. The Jewish people were dispersed all over the world. And then when was it? In 1948? That was... 1948, that Israel was again uh, declared a nation and people began coming back to Israel, the Jewish people. And so for for years, I understood the scripture to mean when Israel comes back to a nation that this generation would not pass until they saw all these things come to pass. And the, only, the, little, the problem with that with, is, is this, and I'm not trying to change anybody's opinion of what you believe or what you think about the scripture saying. I'm just gonna share with you best I can understand of what it's saying. And, and the reason I'm gonna share this is, is let me give you another verse. In Luke chapter 21 is a parallel passage of this. In Luke chapter 21, we're gonna read a few verses there. And Jesus spoke to them this parable. Behold the fig tree, now look at this, and all the trees. See this? Okay, let me go on. When now they shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that, that summer's close. So when you see all these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, there's a couple of interpretations. One is we look at Israel as a nation, and Jesus says, hey, the temple is going to be destroyed in this generation. And indeed, if we look at that that context historically, uh, less than 40 years after Jesus shared these words, it would be less than 40 years that Titus, the Roman leader, emperor, ruler, or he wasn't a ruler, but he was a uh, commander would come into Jerusalem with Roman troops and they would destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple in AD 70 less than 40 years so one possibility is that Jesus was saying hey before you die this temple is going to be thrown down it's going to be thrown down now another possibility is is looking at like this Jesus says And in Luke 21, he says that we look and we see not only the the fig tree, but he said all the trees. And so I think what Jesus is saying is when you see the trees begin to to green up, and I love it here, especially because I I like to watch spring and summer come to the mountains. Anybody else, you can see it start greening up around you. And if you look at the mountains, you can see the green just, just coming up to the top and it greens up. Jesus says, when you see all the things he's been talking about, and he talked about he talked about the the uh, uh, Antichrist. He talked about the the man who would set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem as God and say, "I'm God, worship me." He talks about uh, the situation that would that would involve a world, kind of a world order. And as he talks about, this, as he's been talking about this with these disciples, we have the advantage now of of being back several hundred years and looking back. At this, and Jesus says, "When you see all these things, it's going to the world has to get ready, and the world don't know it's getting ready, but but the world orders and people there there has to be a change in attitudes that would that would bring it so that people will reject the truth of God's word, and so that a man can set him up and declare himself to be God and declare people and make people worship him." and he warned about this he started off this whole discourse talking about don't be deceived because the age and the time of the Lord's return and the time at the end of the age is going to be a time of great deception and people will be deceived unless they know God's truth and dig in and hang on to God's truth and I believe what Jesus is saying here that as surely as you see all these things begin to happen in the world now I'm not old but I'm, but I'm older, okay, older than some, not, not as hardly as old as others. But I can remember when I was a kid. I can remember hearing older people then say, "Man, I thought I'd never live to see that in my lifetime." You ever heard anybody say that? Man, I thought I'd never live to see that in my lifetime. And I want to tell you, I think back to forty or fifty years ago, and 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 if, if Claude and Dorothy and Dad and Mom and some of those other older people. That are home with the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if you know, they were here now, they would be shaking their heads to what we see on the, on, uh, on the news, to what we see accepted, and to what we see not only as accepted, but being pushed as a norm on culture. And it's not just here, it's around the world. Jesus says, when you see all these things happening, it's like watching the leaves green up, and you can know that summer's close. The second assurance he gives them is this: is, is also, I want to share with you, because he says to them, when this happens, this generation will not pass till you see all these things come to pass. And again, if he's talking about the temple d- destruction, those there, that was in a generation. But the difficulty of saying that the generation of Israel coming back as a nation, a little bit, it pushes a little bit because that's 1948, and I can remember... People say, well, what's a generation? Well, the generation in biblical terms is maybe 40 years. Well, 1988 came and, and went 40 years from Israel becoming a nation. And then maybe some people say, well, maybe it's, it's 70 years. And, 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 and we, and we kind of have a, a hard time fitting it. Let me just share with you what, what I really think is, he's saying here. Is, is this, and it all comes back to this term generation. In Matthew 23, just before this chapter, in Matthew 23... Verse 33 and 34, 35, Jesus is, is talking and l- listen to what he's saying. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, be sure I'm all right. Yep, I'm not there. 23, 23, okay. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, pay the tight men that come in the right chapter, you blind guides, woe unto you, scribes. No, I'm 33, I'm 23, thank you. And I'm going to start with verse 32. Fill ye up the measure then of your fathers. He's talking to the, to the Jewish leaders. You serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Now notice what he's saying. You generation of, of people. Wherefore, behold, I send to you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you kill and crucify. Some of them you scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you... May come all the righteous blood shed from the, upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah and Bacheriah whom slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, <clears throat> all these things shall come upon this generation. And, and 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 this in that context, Jesus is talking about the Jewish people. And he's saying to them that all that because of the rejection, all these things are going to continue to happen. Remember when Pilate brought Jesus before the Jews and they and, and he said, I, I'm washing my hands of this innocent man. Remember what they said? Let his blood be upon us and upon our descendants. I believe Jesus is, is saying is referring here to the Jewish people. Let me tell you why. Again, I'm not going to force this at all and, it, and, and not trying to change. He says, this, this Jewish, the Jewish people that's there, he said, listen, you're going to still be here. Not you particularly, but your people. Now, why would he say that? Since before Christ's birth, Satan has had the Jewish people in his sights. He's tried to destroy them because he's tried to thwart are to disrupt God's plan. God still has a plan for the nation Israel. We've just been looking at some of that in this chapter 24 of Matthew. How that during the tribulation, during the tribulation time, is going to be a time when God is going to bring out 144,000, particularly of little Jewish Pauls. That's what I call them. I mean, there are these, these Jewish believers in Christ that's sharing the gospel. And he's going to, we talked about how he is going to be working particularly with the nation of Israel to complete and fulfill all that he's intended to do with them. We've had the Holocaust. We've had people try to commit genocide with the Jewish people. There are are people that's not going to be destroyed until God completes his plan. And I believe Jesus is saying, hey, there are some assurances. When you see these things come to happen, summer's close." Know this: that this generation is going to be around for God to complete His work in them. And then the third thing He uses is this verse. He said, "Heaven and earth will not pass away until you see all these things come to pass." Just I was thinking about how how would we what do we what do we just kind of take for granted that it's going to be? And one of those things is sun up and sundown, right? Day and night, just as surely as I've heard Mama say, just or people say, "Well, just as surely as day and night, it's going to happen." what are they saying? We go to bed tonight at dark and we'll assume some, we wake up in the morning that it's probably gonna be getting light. The sun's coming up. The sun's going down. I believe Jesus is saying, just as surely as sun down follows sun up, you can depend on his words coming true. He said, but my words will not pass away. The one who said he came to give sight to the blind did. The one who came and he said he gave his life a ransom for many, he did. The one who said, take this body and, and destroy, and in three days later, I will raise it up again, he did. And the same one who said all those has said he is coming back again, and he will. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, in, in doing that, he then next, he kind of opens a curtain, a little bit wider, and he gives us this example of Noah, and it's important. Look at this, starting in verse thirty-eight. I don't know why I keep putting my glasses up. In verse thirty-eight, he says, "For as it, in the days that were before the flood, let me go to thirty-seven. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be." Now, I just I, I love it when when Jesus gives so much. He always has given credibility to the prophets and to the scriptures, to the Old Testament. You know, today there are those that are trying to discredit and say, Well, you don't need the Old Testament. Don't get bogged down in the, in all that bloodshed, and don't get bogged down in all that creation stuff. It really don't matter. What matters is if you believe Jesus died for your sins. Let me just tell you, that's really not true at all. It does matter. Because it's on the basis of the foundation that's laid in the in the beginning, that's laid in Genesis. It's on that foundation that Paul writes this great Thesis of Romans and says, for all have sinned for as in Adam, sin entered the world. So also by the second Adam or Christ comes forgiveness of that. It is so critical. And I love it that Jesus often is giving credibility to this. Yeah, I've had people say, ain't no way that they could be, Look, just think about it, Jerry. How high is the tallest mountain in the world? A lot of people died on, is Mount Everest the tallest says that now? I think I read 29,000 and something feet, something like that. <clears throat> Man, that, that's that's over five miles high. And, I, and I've had people say, well, there can't be a flood that covered the whole world. And I've had people say to me, and you probably have, I've had people with a more, lot more degrees than I had, almost like a thermometer with degrees after the name, say, Jerry, there's no way that a fish can swallow a man and then spit him back up and, and, and him be alive. You know, talking about, was that Jonah? Well, You know what? God does a lot of things that people just say can't be done, don't he? So Jesus here is referring back to Noah and the flood. I love this. All right. That was a sidebar. For in the days that were before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came. The people didn't have a clue until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now I'll give you a little bit I am burying my soul to you about what I believe and don't and kind of change. Used to in verse 38 I used to I grew up thinking about it says well in the days of Noah that's the way it will be when Christ comes again the people going to be eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And I thought gosh that must be pretty bad stuff. So I'm trying to figure out maybe that's talking about gluttony. I don't know there's, there's got to be something wrong with eating and drinking. And marrying and giving marriage, maybe that's talking about the divorce rate. I'm trying to figure that out and make it fit. <clears throat> and, I, and I think what Jesus is saying is so simple that I just convoluted it. I think he's saying that life went on as normal. People kept doing it. They, they kept doing the things they've always done. They, they ate, they had birthday parties, they went to work, they got in debt, they paid debts. Life just went on. It was going on as normal. Now think about this. Noah and his sons I can imagine when they first started the project in the backyard <clears throat> and, and here people come by and what are you doing Where we're building right. and, our and but as they, as they did this year after, uh, day after day month after month year after year and then this huge I, I haven't I've seen pictures Jeff and, Pat and Sarah I think y'all took a group of people to the ark and you sent me pictures I've got pictures of y'all standing it was a big deal it was a big deal and they're standing down there in front of this thing and it's huge behind them. Can you imagine <clears throat> this in your backyard? And it's kind of taking shape. And people are coming by and they're, what you doing? And building an ark. Great, why? Because God's gonna judge the earth. Now, scripture tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And I imagine he had more than one or two conversations about what he was doing and why he was doing it. And as, as Noah would say, you need, to, you need to get ready. You need to repent. You need to stop, you need to stop and look because God has sinned in judgment. <clears throat> and scripture says that they just went on. Over time, they kind of got to ignore it. I imagine they'd go by, start with it, was, it was kind of cute. <clears throat> and then they kind of thought, man, I'm glad I'm not one of his sons. Can you imagine me caught up in that delusion of their dad? Every day he's got them out there with him. Look at this thing the dummy you know they probably called him old fool look at what he's doing out there <clears throat> and then I can imagine Noah and Noah's house and the ark became kind of a landmark somebody wanted to know how do you get to where how do you get where where, where joy lives well you go out there to, to Noah's house well, where's that that big ark in the backyard? oh yeah I know where that is like the big chicken in Marietta you go out there to Noah's ark <laughs> turn left and you go and it just became a landmark <laughs> gee it, what happened is it just they just got Start with it's interesting, start with it had questions, then it got where it was just there, and life went on. It's interesting when you go back and read this in Genesis of what happened. In Genesis, it says that then God's brought the animals. Now, that had to be kind of, it had to had kind of be pretty, pretty wild, right? If you were close, if you were a neighbor, or if you were around, <clears throat> all of a sudden, these, these animals start coming in, just showing up out and over. That had to be kind of crazy, and all of them are going inside. And then God said to Noah, get your wife and get your kids and their family and come into the ark. And scripture tells us that they did that. I'm trying to look where it tells that. In Genesis, I think it's seven. I'm sure I got it down. Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> Genesis seven, seven through 10. And the scripture says that when Noah went into the ark, that God shut the door. Now that's pretty ominous. Wow. One door and one window one way in one way out and God shut it now <clears throat> I can imagine with the people with the, with the animals and then and then all of a sudden here's Noah the last minute last minute and there's, there's kinfolk out there there's, there's neighbors that he've, there's people he's worked, that he loves and he said it's, it's the last chance. God has touched coming out yeah, yeah. <clears throat> look at the sky dude look at the sky and they go in and then the door closes wow wow but you know what you know what amazed me Noah and his family were inside the ark for seven days before it even thundered can you imagine that first day in that big building or that big ship boat ship boat in there now i don't know what kind of air conditioning units they had <laughs> but that's a big thing with all the animals you know and can you imagine they're in there the first day and it's kind of novel and it's, it's kind of cute and let's kind of hey we have got to get it, let's see how we're gonna figure this out and what we're gonna do and it's kind of exciting i can imagine Noah, hey 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 john run up there and look out the window see what you see dad it's just blue skies what are we doing in here? God said, come in. All right. Now, think about them. Five days in there. Five days. Sun's coming. Kind of, but God said, it's going. And then on the seventh day, the clouds roll in, and there's a clap of thunder, lightning and a clap of thunder. The rains came, but the door shut. I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine when the clouds began to roll in, and the first few streaks of lightning had across the sky and when the thunder woke him up maybe some people said could he have been right? Is it possible? Not that much water. We, you know is it possible? Listen I think there's people today that know of what scripture says about the Lord's coming. They've heard about it most of their lives. they um, They're kind of trying to decide. Yeah, I believe the Bible, but but I just don't know. I I mean, I believe it, but there's parts of you I just can't can't believe, you know. And they're trying to trying to figure it out and trying to make it work. And when you talk about the Lord's return, there's people I think that are waiting to hear a trumpet sound. But I'm gonna tell you, when they hear a trumpet sound, it's too late to get in because the door is shut. It was too late. When the lightning streaked and the, and the thunder, it was too late then because the door was shut. Anyway, Jesus said, it's just going to be like the days of Noah. So I'm convinced that as we look at the, as we look at the trees that we look at the greening up, we look at, 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 at the Israel as a nation. We look at, at the, as a, the night and day and heaven and earth and God's word is just as sure. <clears throat> and then he tells us that the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like Noah, like it was in the days of Noah. Now, when he talks about the coming of the Son of Man here uh, in verse 39, he's not talking about what we just read about when the Lord comes with power and glory. He's referring to what you read a lot about in First Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians in chapter 4, remember this? He talks about, and we, we went there, he talks about <clears throat> that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds... Every eye is not going to see him then. Notice what he says here in the next verses. He says, Then then shall two be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you don't know the hour your Lord does come. But But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come... He would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. His coming as a thief in the night is to take away the church, is to take away the Christians. It's the rapture. It's what we call, it's what's referred to as the rapture. It doesn't occur there, but you read it in First Thessalonians 4, the catching away, Okay? And it's very selective. He tells us that here in another, in another one of the parallel passages, he tells us that two will be in the bed and one will be taken, one will be left. Here he says two will be working in the field, one taken, one left. Here he tells us two women will be outside the first service. I said two women in the laundromat, washing clothes, one taken, one left. He didn't say laundromat. But two women will be working side by side, <clears throat> one taken, one left. It's a very select gathering of those who are saved and who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you need to watch and you need to be ready. Live ready for the Lord to come. Now, he tells us that over and over and I'm I'm getting ready to to close, but my question to me was, and I thought about this the other day, I said, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to, to live looking for the Lord's return? Okay. Are you living looking for the Lord's return? Now, uh, to me, that means a lot of things. To me, there's times that that's so comforting that I, that, that I, I long for his return because I, because I enjoy his presence now. And I think there's a connection. The more we enjoy his presence now, the more we want to see his face, see him to come. But sometimes when I think about his coming, there have been those times that I've thought, man, I'd hope he don't come now. Not now. Now, I just want to tell you, I don't think Jesus is is like a big policeman waiting to catch you doing something bad or saying something that you shouldn't be saying or being somewhere that you shouldn't ought to be. But I know his word well enough to know, and you do too, that I think he means that he wants us to live in relationship with him so that we're longing to be with him. You see, God loves you. There's not a one of us here that God doesn't love. And there's not a one of us here can say, I don't know about that. Because Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love. King James says, but God commendeth his love toward us, demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you and loves me so much that he would let his son die so that I could to be with him. And that's how much he loves you. And he wants you to be with him in eternity in a place that he's created for us. Heaven. That's why he built it. He wants us to be with him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And I think there's a correlation. If I'm, if I'm kind of afraid of his coming, if it's, <clears throat> the word is, is, is scary. I know it don't, uh, S-C-A-R-Y. All right. And I know there are some of you going to say that means Scary or something like that. I don't know. It means to be afraid, okay? <clears throat> I just grow up being a scaredy cat, I, it, it, scared. If you're a scared, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you're scared of the, of the Lord's return, then I, I, I think that you may not be enjoying his presence right now, okay? And it, maybe, maybe, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Maybe you maybe you're trying to make it fit, and you're trying to reason it out in your mind. And you know, you know, you you know, you want to believe it. You know, you kind of believe it, and you plan on believing it. You know, you sure want it to be true when you die, but you're just not sure about it right now. He loves you, and he wants you in relationship to him. But to walk moment by moment, taking all that he has for you—the forgiveness, the freedom, the love, and the peace. I believe it's to long to see his face. I'm gonna close with a poem. <clears throat> I'm not much of a poet, but boy, I, I, there's a few poems I like that I just run across that's awesome. And I ran across an author this past few weeks. Her name is Annie Johnson Flint, F-L-I-E-N-T. And when I, when I went to the, look, look her up on the internet, man, I was just amazed at her story, her testimony, and she's, she's gone home to be with the Lord <clears throat> but, there were, but she had so, I mean, she's got a bunch of poems. But she wrote a poem called The Lord Himself. And when I first read it, I thought, wow. Then I stopped. Then I went back and looked it up again. And I think it's saying what I'm saying and what the Lord's saying when we look for His return. Listen to this. The Lord Himself by Annie Johnson Flint. It's not for a sign we're watching For wonders above and below, the pouring out of vials of judgment, the sounding of trumpets of woe. It's not for a day we're looking, not even the time yet to be, when the earth shall be filled with God's glory and the waters cover the sea. It's not for a king we're longing to make the world kingdoms his own. It's not for a judge who shall summon the nations of earth to his throne. Not for these, though we know they're coming, they're but adjuncts of him Before whom all glory is clouded, besides whom all splendor grows dim. We wait for the Lord, our beloved, our comforter, master and friend. The substance of all that we hope for, beginning of faith and its end. We watch for our Savior and bridegroom, who loved us and made us his own. For him we are looking and longing for Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, your word is, is, is so, so amazing. Because you want us, you don't want anyone to be unaware. You don't want anyone to be ignorant of what the future is unfolding. And while we may not know specifics, you tell us we can look and see the trees greening up. You can look and see night and day. You can look and see what's happening. And you know when you see these things come to pass, the world's getting ready for me. They don't know it, but they are. Just like they were in the days of Noah. And that's a lot like that today. Just business as usual. But you told us to watch, be vigilant, be ready. Help us to live Looking for you, help us to live looking for you and enjoying your presence now because you're with us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God, this morning, there is—I know that there may be those that are here that have never asked you to come into their heart and life. Some reason they just not got around to it. Maybe they're good people, and they've just—they keep. Maybe they're depending on their goodness. I hope not. But for some reason, whatever reasons, multiple reasons, there may be those here who have never asked you to come in their life. And this morning, as we, as we look and, and we read and we, you tell us just as sure as night, fall as day, these things are going to happen. I've told you and they're going to happen. This morning, may your Holy Spirit stir their hearts of those who have never made a decision for you. And may the day be the day when they say, yes, Lord, come into my life. If you're here this morning and that's you and your prayer, and I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity just in a moment to pray with me. But you can just ask him to come in. He's that kind of a Lord. He understands you when you talk. You don't have to do it any particular way with these or those or any way jury prays. You can talk to him. But if you've never asked him to be your Savior, I'd encourage you right now to say, God, I, I need you. I need you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. Make me a follower of Christ. I want to do this. And by faith, I'm trusting you to do your work in my life through Jesus Christ, your son, who died for me and rose again. Would you do that? And if you pray that prayer, it'd probably be a really, really good time just to say thank you. Thank you, Lord for coming into my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being patient to bring me to this point that I can make this decision that I've then been needing to make a long time ago. Thank you. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, I'd just like to pray for you. Just stiff your hand up and say, Jerry, I pray that prayer. Remember me this morning as you close and put it right back down. Thank you. Any, any others that need to just acknowledge what you've done? Father, we give you glory. I thank you for loving us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.